The Lord is the light, is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evil men advance against me to devour my flesh, when my enemies and my foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then will I be confident. One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. I have written here in my Bible beside that eyes set towards heaven and that's my prayer in this place that our eyes would be set towards heaven and kingdom things as we're here in this place and we sing these songs of open up the heavens be in this place we know he's already in our midst amen church and now we're going to sing about it and make sure that our hearts and our eyes are set towards him let's sing
all my days I've been held in your hands From the moment that I wake up Until I lay my head Oh, I will sing of the goodness of God Cause all my life you have been faithful And all my life you have been so, so good With every breath that I am able Oh, I will sing of the goodness I love your voice You have led me through the fire In darkest night You are close like no other I've known you as a father I've known you as a friend And I have lived in the goodness
together. Almighty God, you alone can bring into order the unruly wills and affections of sinners. Grant your people grace to love what you command and desire what you promise, that among the swift and varied changes of the world, our hearts may surely there be fixed where true joys are to be found. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Well, good morning. So at our house, we have kind of a big project underway, and it's been a multi-year project. It started with like one garden box on the side of our house, and then that 
developed into two garden boxes. And all of a sudden, over the past six months, we've become like those people, the people who live in, in a tiny neighborhood and yet no longer have a side yard because now it is all garden boxes. And I'm realizing that in, in a lot of ways, I'm kind of out of my depth here because I do not feel like I have a green thumb at all. I feel like plants come to my house as their last resort and then they, they go end up in the trash can. And so my kids and I were like, okay, if we are really going to have this big garden and we're already dreaming about all of the stuff that we're pulling out of there and the stuff that we're going to get to eat and the stuff that we're growing, I'm like, we've got to have a plan. And so we've been pouring over gardening books and we've been learning about some seeds get planted right in the soil. Some seeds need to be started inside and they need extra care. And then there's the thing of crop rotation and all of these things that to be successful as gardeners, if we really want to consider ourselves gardeners, like we need to have a plan. And it's got lots of steps and lots of detail. And we are rapidly approaching kind of the exciting part in the plan where we've, um, we're talking about what kind of seeds we want. And um, tomatoes, we've found, are one that need to be started indoors. Those will not really grow as great if you wait and then plant them directly in the ground. They need a little bit of a head start. So um, I was at the store and I picked these. These are red cherry tomatoes. And I'm already so excited because Finley and I are both like tomatoes are just our favorite. Like we will just eat them straight out of the garden. And so as I hold this packet of seeds in my hand, I'm already picturing those days later this summer where like there will be more tomatoes than we even know what to do with. Um, but I also want you to imagine for a second how every seed in this packet might be feeling right now as they have been selected to be a part of, of our plan. Um, I can imagine that these seeds in here are pretty happy and comfortable with their friends. It's a nice, warm, airy packet. They've got, I mean, the packet's white, so they're getting some light in there. And can you imagine what I'm about to do to these poor, unsuspecting seeds? As I'm about to separate them all, stick them all by themselves, down into dirt. So now it's going to be dark. They're going to be lonely. And then, can you even imagine, I'm going to start unexpectedly just pouring water on them. So now this poor seed, it's not, it's not in with its friends anymore. It's in the dark. It's in the cold. And just whenever I feel like it, it's going to be getting a shower. So... I'm going to ask you guys to stretch your imagination with me just even a little farther today. The, this packet of seeds and I, we could have a conversation and they are like, wait a minute. <laughs> You're about to do what? What if you forget where you planted me? What if you forget to water me? What if... What if I'm not actually supposed to do this at all and, and you're going to put me through all of this and then I'm not even going to have any tomatoes at the end? What... what and what if this seed says, you know what, actually, I want no part of that plan whatsoever because right now, I pretty much know what to expect. I'm hanging out here with my buddies. We're pretty comfortable. We get together. We, we all like each other. We're just going to hang out in here, and I want no part of this garden plan. And so as I'm sitting here now, as I'm trying to convince this seed to understand the future that I see for it, the plans that I have for it. I'm like, no, you don't understand. You're going to have to go through that, but just wait. You're going to pop, and you're going to be in the sun, and you're going to grow and produce more tomatoes than you can ever 
imagine. And I'm trying to get this seed to catch my vision, catch my plan for it. And we get to the heart of it. And the heart of it is that this seed just doesn't trust me. Doesn't trust that I can see a future for it. It doesn't trust that I have a plan for it. And it's so limited by what it knows so far. And it's like, hey, right now I'm good and I'm comfortable. But the thing is, until this seed, until it goes into the ground, until it allows itself to be a part of that process, it's never going to live into its full potential. This seed is not designed to live forever in a package of seeds. It is the potential for growth and for a new plant. So you may all be really impressed with my storytelling skills this far, but can I be honest? I just learned from the best. Jesus used stories like this all the time when he was trying to teach things because he wanted to connect things that we can't understand in a small way to things that we can. And so as he was getting to the end of his ministry and talking with his disciples, he, he kept hinting and telling them about how he was going to die. And they just were not accepting that at all. Like that, that just can't be right. That can't be the plan. And he says, no, you don't understand. The same way that you have to take a seed and let it go in the ground and in effect, it, it seems like it's dead. It shrivels up. That has to happen for the growth to come. And he's like, and the, the life of following me is this life of continually dying to yourself, putting aside the things that you think you know, the things you think you understand, and trusting that there is a bigger plan. He says, it comes. This is this upside-down kingdom where the most significance that I could ever achieve in my life it's not going to come from all the things I can strive after and fight for and earn on my own. The most significance I can ever hope for in my life is that it points others to him. But that means that I have to allow him to plant me places. And that's really, really hard. It's really hard to trust a plan that we can't see. Sometimes a plan that we can't understand. And I'm going to read to you today from Isaiah 55. I have just a couple of verses. It's verses 8 and 9. And this might sound really familiar. And this is always comforting to me when I try to make God's plan make sense to me. I try to make it in the image of the kind of plans that I have. And he says, that's, that's just not how my plans are. He says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts than your thoughts. So Jesus was all in on God's plan for his life. To borrow our, our all in phrase. He, he knew that it would come with rejection, exhaustion, loneliness, pain, even to the point of death, to crucifixion. But yet he set this example for us of what it takes, what it looks like to see God's plan and to say yes, no matter what. So let's take it back to this seed. This seed really only, only can be a part of a bigger plan when it allows itself to be planted, when it allows itself to leave the comfortable, leave the known, leave all the buddies in the package together here and actually grow into its potential. And don't we talk to our kids all the time about their potential? Don't we speak life into them and tell them about the things that we see coming from them, the things that we see them being capable of? But as we even talk with our kids about their dreams, we know that a lot of those things are going to cost something. It's a lot of time. It's a lot of hard work. It's investment. It's blood, sweat, and tears. And yet we keep telling our kids, you're capable of this. Just keep chasing it. So can I invite you this morning as we think about our potential, as we think about our kids' potential, 
it's great that we dream with them about all of these things, but can we agree as followers of Jesus that the potential that we see in our kids, the potential that we want to nurture more than all, is that they grow and have a healthy, vibrant, personal faith. All the other things, those are just bonus, but those things are passing away. But the thing when I look at my kids, I'm like, no, no, I want you to trust God to plant you where it's dark and dirty and damp and scary because what I see in you is a follower of Jesus. I see in you someone who will bring other people and point them to Jesus. So maybe it helps today to consider and think about yourself as a seed and think, hmm, am I happier in my packet of seeds with all my buddies Or am I willing to be the one to say, hey, I'm not just a seed. I'm actually a whole tomato plant in here, but I need to go get planted first. I'm going to invite Pastor Paul to continue his Fuse Breaker series. Thank you, Pastor Mara, for another good sermon for us, a good uh, next-gen moment. You know, I want to talk this morning just for a few minutes about healthy eating. Uh, I'm going to spend some time. I know it's it's a different topic, and, and I hope you don't mind. I didn't have time to eat breakfast this morning. And so while I'm talking about healthy eating, I'm going to be eating these Hostess Donuts. Yes. You know, the, these are these are some good things. I mean, let's let's face it, the, the name, Hostess, that's got to be host. That's positive, right? You know, it's a, you know, we believe in hospitality. And you know, and it's it's only got 28 grams of fat. Now, I don't know if that's in each individual donut in here or the whole packet. Uh, and only 19 grams of those are saturated fat. So, you know, this is really, you know, this is probably okay. To eat. 46 carbs, but there's one gram of fiber in it, which means that it's only 45 net carbs, right? You know, they, they look, only 28 sugars added. So, so, you know, these should, really, it's low sodium, 290 milligrams of sodium. So I could eat almost eight packages of these and still be within my sodium. It's ridiculous, right? You know, if I'm going to talk about, who wants these? Anybody want? Good catch. Good hands. There's enough to share. It'd be ridiculous for me to talk about eating healthy and all the same time stand before you and eat little chocolate donuts as good as they are. You know, but there's a lot of things that we say we believe in that although we say we believe in them and and we may in our heart think we believe in them, our actions say otherwise. We we may say, well, I believe in, in saving money and yet we spend way too much. We, we may say, well, I, I believe in being debt-free, but you get that opportunity that you can't pass on. All of us have done that, right? <laughs> but don't leave me up here. I'm the only one that's done that, I'm sure. We, we believe in our health, but we like sugar and sitting more than exercising and eating right. Uh, we, we believe that we should have time for a relationship but we come home from work or wherever and we sit down in our chair and we veg out and watch TV. Uh, we, we have principles, but we don't sometimes live by them. Groucho Marx, who's, uh, most of you don't know who he is, but Groucho Marx is famous for saying, these are my principles. If you don't like them, I have others. 
what I'm talking about is this, it, there's a psychological term for this, it's called cognitive dissonance. It's when expressed belief does not match our actions. It's when we say we believe in something, but our actions demonstrate something other than what we say we believe in. So, you know, a classic example would be someone that would believe that, that smoking is bad for your health, it's bad for your heart, it's, it, it can cause cancer, and yet they have the addiction, they have the habit of smoking, and even though they believe this, their actions demonstrate something else. Now, cognitive dissonance is not healthy. It creates, when we're aware that our beliefs do not match up with our actions, it can, it can hurt our confidence. It can, it can affect our, our relationships with other people. It can cause us to let go of dreams. And so just, just an even general life that, that oftentimes we, we give up on things because our actions cannot match up with our beliefs. Uh, cognitive dissonance can be present in our Christian walk. In other words, we can, we can say we believe certain things and yet live in a completely different manner. We have these set of beliefs, we have these set of doctrines, but we do not live according to those beliefs or according to those doctrines. Now, maybe it's something you learned as a child. You know, if you grew up in the church, you're, you know, we, we, we learn from grandma and grandpa and aunts and uncles, and, and we've learned stuff through the years, and, and sometimes we, we believed it. Maybe you never really believed it, but you never lived it. Maybe it's something you've heard or read, and, and you've tried to live it, but you've felt so many times you've just begun to believe that it's unattainable. Or maybe you're pushing it off till tomorrow. Uh, you're saying, okay, well, yeah, that's true. I believe that. But tomorrow, if you want to check yourself for cognitive dissonance, ask yourself, what am I putting off until tomorrow? When's the best time to start a diet? Tomorrow, right? You know, I, I have started more diets tomorrow than I've ever started today. You know, the best time to start something that, and, and if, if you want to check yourself for a cognitive, cognitive dissonance, check for the things that you're putting off for tomorrow. In our Christian walk, there's a couple of things we do when we encounter this disconnect between our beliefs, between our faith, and our life. There's, there's a couple of things that we do. The first thing is we, we justify by making exceptions. We say, yeah, sure, sure, forgiveness and giving and serving and being in the church and being with others, that's ideal. That's God's ideal for us. But I live on the earth. I'm just human. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. God understands. Can I, can I tell you something? God not only wants to save us, God wants to transform us. He wants to change us. 
Not, not that we become to this, these super perfect Christians that never have to confess and never have to move forward, but God's desire for you is not simply salvation, but it's transformation. It's changing you from the inside out. And when we live for less than that, we're living for less than God's dream for us. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, brethren's just a fancy word for people, okay? I urge you people, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. That's God's desire for his people. His desire includes our part and his part. And our part is, hey, God, everything I have is yours. And God's part is he can transform us when we live like that. He can change the way we think and the way we live. God does not simply offer life after death. I'm glad that God offers life after death. But God offers life before death. The significance of the physical resurrection of Jesus is not that he rose from the dead, but that he physically rose from the dead. God is interested in our physical resurrections. I have come, this is the words of Jesus, I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. Jesus doesn't say, I have come that you will resurrect from the dead. But Jesus has said, I have come that you might have life here and now. See, Christ is not simply our exit strategy. He is our living hope. He is our hope of transformation. He is our hope for abundant life in the here and now. But we justify by comparing ourselves with others. So we make exceptions, or we justify ourselves by justify ourselves by comparing ourselves with others. You know, the Pharisees were great at this. You realize that? That that, that religious people, and, and 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 I hope we're not in that category, but religious people can be great at looking to the things they do well compared to the things their neighbors don't do well and comparing themselves with what they can't do that you can do and all the time ignoring the planks in their own eyes. See, here's, here's the rub and here's the invitation. Jesus does not invite us to compare ourselves to others. He invites us to compare ourselves to him. To compare ourselves to Jesus. To be holy like our heavenly father is holy. And here's the reality that I found in my life. If I allow Jesus to be the model that I compare myself to, I'm never satisfied and God's never done with me. <laughs> Amen? When I look at Jesus, there is this constant pull for more because I look at myself and I look at Jesus and I realize there is more to this journey. There is more for me. There is more for me to do. Simply justifying cognitive dissonance can create barriers to community. It keeps us 
When our faith and our life don't match up, it causes us to wear a mask. It keeps us from being real with one another because we've got this ideal and, and we just don't want to share. We're not vulnerable. It can make us judgmental and legalistic with those outside our community. All of these things happen when our faith, what we believe, and our actions do not match up. When we live in this state of spiritual uh, cognitive dis dissonance. Now we've been dealing with Lent, and this is kind of an interesting part of this, but I think it's important that we see this in the Lord's Prayer, and I think it's important we see this in Lent. Lent is an invitation to let go of lesser things so we can grab hold of better things. It's an invitation to unplug so we don't overload a circuit. And here's the invitation that we find in Lent and we find in the Lord's Prayer. God invites us to move from Christian head knowledge only to following Jesus as a way of life. Did you realize this isn't about just what you know? It's not having the right thoughts in your mind. It's not having the right information. But it's about a way of life based on the example of Jesus. Jesus calls us from orthodoxy, thinking the right things, to orthopraxy, living the right way. Now, okay, some of you are saying, okay, this pastor, he doesn't, he just talked about grace last week. Did I just talk about grace last week, right? You say, wait a minute. Didn't you just tell us last week that we are saved by grace and grace alone? For by grace you've been saved, and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. But then hear this. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. In other words, the scripture is all about grace that leads to a way of life, a way of living, a way of living among people. I've heard it said, we are not saved by good works, but we are saved to do good works. <laughs> In other words, your life doesn't save you, but your salvation changes you, and your salvation changes you to live this life that has been expressed by Jesus. And we see this in the Lord's Prayer. That's my Apple Watch. Thank you very much. <laughs> I'll tell you what, when your watch starts talking back to you, it's time to get a different watch. <laughs> now I don't know what to do. I don't know if I have to put it in my pocket or something. Matthew 6, 9 through 13. Let's read this together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. In this prayer, this beautiful prayer that Jesus gives us, there is an invitation not just to receive forgiveness, but to give forgiveness. That there is an invitation to rely on God for our daily needs. In other words, there's this invitation to present to God our small, the smallest details of our life and to present to God the largest details of our life and, and allow Him to sustain us and live in what He provides. But the main focus is this. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Can you say it with me? Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heavens. In other words, we are not simply waiting for heaven. We are bringing heaven to earth. God's kingdom is here when we live in obedience to the will of our Father. Jesus is not just simply calling us to a way of thinking, but a way of living. And so the question I have for you today is this. Does your belief system match the way you're living? Do the priorities that you say you have match your way of life? Is it consistent? Do you believe in forgiveness? Can I ask it like this? Are you a forgiving person? Do you believe in generosity? Are you someone who practices generosity? Do you believe in serving? Are you serving? Do you believe love is primary? Are you loving? Do you believe in this ideal of God dependence? Are you God dependent? You know, all of us have times when these ideals, these beliefs, these doctrines that we have don't match up with how we live. And we can ignore that, or we can, we can dive deeper in and allow God to move us and shape us and maybe change our thinking. So how do we respond to spiritual cognitive dissonance? The first thing is we need to be aware. I'm troubled at times in, in our lack of self-awareness, self-vulnerability. This willingness just to, to, to lay our soul bare before God and say, hey, here's what I think. Here's what I think I believe, but here's how I'm living. Is this consistent? And this ability just to be aware when there's a disconnect in our life. Well, we've got to recognize the cognitive dissonance. And as we recognize what we believe and how we're living, our, my, my doctrine versus my way of life, 
the, the question we have to ask is, I think this is the first question, is my belief right? You know, some, some of us have, have been infected by pop theology. And quite frankly, the, the belief is not consistent and right. And, and we need to examine and make sure, okay, is, is this not a right belief? You, you know, I, I've, I've known people that, that believe that, that if, if they're full of the Holy Spirit, then when they pray for healing, healing always happens. Can I tell you that's not consistent with Scripture? You know, all of us, if God tarries, will die. Not every disease is healed. And so sometimes people will have beliefs that are not consistent with reality, life, or the Scripture. And so the questions we ask, we, we, we need to examine our belief in the light of Scripture, in the light of reason, in the light of tradition and experience. And, and I've given you right there the, the Wesleyan quadrilateral, how, how we examine life. What does the Bible say? You know, it's easy to pick a scripture, but, but when we pick a particular scripture to justify a belief, does that scripture match up with the rest of the Bible? Is it consistent with the entirety of scripture? What has the church said historically about this belief? In other words, tradition matters. That we have 2,000 years of recorded history of understanding Scripture, and, and, and there's shifts in that through the years, sure. But what has the church historically said? Can anyone live what I believe? <laughs> I have a simple, simple, fundamental thing that, that I apply when, my, when I preach. And it's this, if I can't live it, I won't preach it. That, 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 that if I can't live a doctrine, if it can't be lived, then we shouldn't spend a whole lot of time preaching it. Because it creates this disconnect between faith and life. Is this the right way of believing? Now, Let's say you go through all that, and, and Scripture supports it. You, you've talked to your friends. You've talked to the community. You, you, you've had included others, and, and, and the belief's right, but your way of living is not consistent with that belief. Cognitive dissonance is positive when we allow it, when we allow correctly held beliefs to shape behavior. In other words, when, when we've come to this place, we say, you know, generosity is right, love is right, patience is right, goodness is that this is this is right, and I'm not living it. And when we embrace that truth, we can allow that to begin to shape our behavior in the right way. And so the question is, what steps can I take to move this from a way of thinking to a way of living? What can I do? What's the practical things that I can do to, to move this from a way of thinking to a way of living? How can I put my faith into action when? Today. What can I do today? What step can I take? 
You know, don't get caught up in thinking, well, I got to figure out all the ways this is going to work its way out. Find one way to put that faith into action on that day. Is that my time? James says, what use is it, my brethren, if someone says he had faith but he has no works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is out clothing and in need of daily food and one of you, uh, of you says to him, go in peace, be warmed, be filled, and you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. But someone may, say, may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. The demons also believe and shudder. But you are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow? That's what I love about James. He's just so kind. That faith without works is useless. Doctrine, belief, that does not affect the way that we live is useless. See, we are a different community, not because of a set of beliefs, not because of the way we think, but by the way we live. So here's the invitation. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, God is inviting us not only to know his will, but to live his will. You know, God's not playing a shell game with these people. God wants us to know how to live. God wants to give us the power to live in that way. So let me ask you, are you seeking God's will? Is that, is that really what you want? Are you living God's will? And finally, are you seeking God's power in living God's will? You know, I've had times in my life. I still have times in my life where I struggle. I mean, I, I'm no different than you folks. There's times when things are going great and times when I get off track and God has to move me back in the right direction. But what I've found is this. The key to being in God's will is to be submitted to God's will. That's the key. The, the key to my life being in tune with his life is to simply have this attitude, not my will, but your will. God does the rest. So, so maybe this morning you need to respond. You know, prayer right here, right now, this is a space of vulnerability. This is a space where, where you allow God to speak and you, like Samuel, say, your servant's here. Speak, Lord. Or maybe you're like Isaiah. Here I am. Send me. <laughs> but you're here with this spirit of just willingness to listen and not only listen, but to submit to the will of the Father. Can, can I tell you, there's never been one thing that I've gave to God 
that I've regretted giving to him. And so maybe in this moment you're struggling because you know, you, you see the disconnect and you know what you've got to let go of. Can I just tell you from my experience, can somebody else give me an amen if that's been the case for you? I've, he's never let me down when I've given him my all. And maybe that's where you are today. All heads bowed, all eyes closed. I want to give you some space just to talk to him. And then we're going to close in prayer. Who would, who would just, and let, let's lift our hands all together. I'm not asking you to lift the individual things, but there's, there's several things that the Spirit's kind of laid on me that, that I think people deal with. Maybe it's a, a place of purity that, that you want to live this pure life, but there's things that's going on in the dark. There's things that you're searching on the internet. There's things that you're, you're watching and, and participate in that you shouldn't. That maybe it's a place of forgiveness that, that you know you need to forgive, but you just can't forgive. Maybe it's a place of service or generosity where, where you know God calls you to be self-giving and, and you're just holding back. Would you just lift your hand and say, Pastor, I, I, would you join me in praying? Just lift them real quick and then you can put them down. You, I see your hands, you can put them down. Lord, help us to be vulnerable to you to be willing to go and do whatever you'd ask us to do. Now, Lord, we love you. We, we praise you for what Jesus has done. And Lord, we recognize that what Jesus has done is not just for a, a ticket to heaven, but Lord, it's, um, it gives us the opportunity, the power to participate in your kingdom here. Make us kingdom people. Make us not our will, but your will, people. May your kingdom come in this place. Stand with me if you will. We're going to close today with the Lord's Prayer together. You ready? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. God bless, folks.